Hey guys, I'm Johnny. I'm Johnny. We're here with talk about that banter town, yo. Yes, sir. Coming in live from my bonus room. We are in Johnny's bonus room. We'll tell you why here in a moment. But I've been meaning to tell you yeah. that I've had a really a reoccurring okay. song in my head that only maybe two of us in America would really remember. Okay. And then you're going to be one of them. Yeah. And I can't tell you all the reasons why it keeps coming back. But I find myself lately going, rapping for Jesus, rapping for Jesus. <laughs> Stephen Wiley. <laughs> yes. The original Christian rapper. Yep. I'm Stephen Wiley, and I'm rated highly, and I rap to the beat. <laughs> the, beat, beat, beat the beat. It's very rapping for Jesus to the beat. To the beat, beat, beat. What's the next one? Let's sit right back and rig relax while I rap religiously. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the religiously. I'm righteously righteous and just the just, faithful to the Lord in whom I trust. If you think I'm boasting, you better relax because when I speak God's word, I'm speaking the facts. Wow. I know that, dude, I remember. Apparently you did. It's stuck in my head. Dude. That. It was. uh, Was impossibly lame, but it's in my head. When we were kids, though, when you're like 10. Well, yeah, because you weren't allowed to listen to the real stuff. Oh, my gosh. Remember he did every book of the Bible in one of his songs? Yeah. Now, how my, he did that. My favorite part, and it didn't rhyme. It was like, <laughs> Genesis, and then when he got my favorite part is when he goes, New Testament. And then he just started into the <laughs> New Testament. You said that all the time. For, <laughs> we'd be out, New Testament. Uh, oh, man. Stephen Wiley, not a sponsor. Apparently. No. But, uh, but you know what? He was, a, he was a pioneer, I suppose. He was. He took a lot of, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I've heard he's a good dude. I'm, I'm sure he lives in Nashville, like all those guys. Yeah. He probably went on to pastor a church or something. Didn't you go, speaking of uh, musical pioneers, didn't you see a movie about Rust Half? Was it two nights ago or last night? I didn't go. Uh, oh. I bought tickets. Yeah. And um, I was so excited. And yeah. I did not go because I broke my toe. And that brings us to, that's a full circle. So we're sitting in Johnny's bonus room. Yeah. Uh, which we've never done a podcast here before. And... Johnny just told me last night that yeah. he, he asked me to come here because he broke his toe. And I said, how? And he said he's going to savor the podcast. So we've literally sat at your table <laughs> while your foot's propped up, yeah. eating lunch, and you won't tell me until now. Like, well, this just, is real. Like, this is authentic. Just, you have no idea what I'm about to say. I have no clue what happened. So I'd like to hear the toe story. Well, I will say about the movie, too. I was so bummed. I bought two tickets. And then Curry was like, you know, I have that thing tonight she went out with. Uh, Jenny Miller, our friend, it was her birthday, so they went. So I, now, now I had another ticket. I was trying to get somebody to go with me, yeah. and uh, and then I just I hurt myself and I couldn't go anyway. And so our two, friend Rick, two seats our friend were empty. Rick produced that movie. He did Rick Altizer, so, yeah. and he did the. He's done other Fathom events with Shonda Pierce, the comedian, yeah. and those did really well. So uh, I was bummed, but at least he got the the ticket sales from me, even if he didn't get me there in right. person. But I heard that the one that they did at Franklin theater, which is where I shot my DVD. Yeah. Uh, it's like a little movie theater down there in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. They had everybody. Evidently it was like the glitterati of CCM past, like wow. Phil Keggy, Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman. All these people came wow. to the there and it only holds like 300 people. So we would have been sitting next to wow. all, of our, all of our heroes. Michael, uh, not Michael. Michael English. <laughs> Stephen Wiley was there. <laughs> Stephen Wiley. He's and I like to, yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so it was it was cool, and I felt bad for Rick, but um, that I wasn't there. But I, if he's listening, I just wanted to support you, and I'm sorry, and I'll wait for the DVD. But I heard it was great. Yeah. Jeffrey went, and he's the one who texted me that day. He's like, "You're coming, right?" And I was like, 
you know it. And then I'm an idiot. So, so tell me about this. Okay. So I went to play golf with my buddy, Brian Bates, mm. who's a comedian in Nashville. And, um, we play golf quite a bit this, this year, but this, of course we hadn't played before. And I wanted to go somewhere different. We go to Pine Creek a lot, which every hole it feels like at Pine Creek has a, if you don't have the, a shot, that's a great first shot. Mm. You land in this trench. There's like a creek that flows through the whole course. Yep. And so every hole has a shot. I'm just like, I can't deal with this. So let's pick another course. So we went to this place called Shelby Golf Course. And it's kind of over in East Nashville. Yeah. And it's an older course. It's not the best. Uh, but it's super hilly. Like there's these huge valleys mm. that you have to go in and out of. Mm. And so... We were joking about the golf cart. These golf carts feel like they're on their last legs. Then we got on the course. We realized, oh, this is why, because you have to get up and down these hills. So we had a couple moments where we're like going down this hill. He's driving. And I'm just like, man, this is a, this is so steep. And then we were going down this one hills on the sixth hole and I hit my tee shot and I'm over here to the left, but I'm down at the bottom of this hill. He's over to the little bit, a little bit uh, before my shot. And then we get off going down, you know, the fairway. Yeah. But then we realize there's just big drop off. And then it goes whoop, and it goes back up. And I'm like, he goes, should we drive down this? I really like where this is going. I go, yeah, man, just do it, you know. <laughs> it's fine. I saw, I saw other tracks, you know. So I was like, other carts have been down here. We're okay. And truthfully, it might have been the mower tracks. <laughs> I don't know if it was golf cart tracks. I just saw tracks. <laughs> so we get going, and he's riding the brake, and it's not. We're not slowing down enough, oh evidently. And so much so that he kind of like, the, the wheel starts turning on him a little bit. And we got turned sideways. And now the cart's going to tip. Like it was sliding and getting ready to roll. Oh, my God. And so at the last, I've seen all these videos, you know. I mean, how steep was this hill? I don't know, dude. Well, I'll tell you in a minute. The, this, the punchline is in a minute. But so <laughs> I've I seen these videos, right? I've seen your videos. I've seen your videos. So I've seen these videos where the cart starts to tip and people stay in it. And they have their arms out, and the cart, the top of the cart, just kind of pins them. Uh, and they, you know, you know, you know, they got broken arms or whatever yeah. from staying in the cart. So when it started to tip, I tried to jump out. Was it tipping on your side? It was tipping on my side. Yeah. So I tried to jump out and clear this top of the cart that's falling on me at the same time, like I'm running from a tree falling down. And uh, I landed on my right foot, and I guess all the weight went onto that big toe. And before I could kind of barrel roll out of it, so I kind of, man, I got up, I was all muddy at the bottom of this hill, you know, dirty. And I was like, Ugh. and I started laughing, you know, you get that little embarrassment, adrenaline of the whole thing. And uh, when I got up, I was like, Ugh, and I could feel like I had hurt my toe. I knew I'd at least sprained it, but I tried to like limp it off. And I, we played two more holes or we played to the ninth hole. We finished that hole, then we did two more holes. And then I was like, uh, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. So at the, ninth, at the end of the ninth hole, I couldn't swing great because you have to bear down that that right. leg. You well, know. you have a toe swing. So I have a real toe swing. You know that. And uh, <laughs> that's the reason I didn't play well. It's because of my toe. But anyway, Bay, what's funny is Brian had left his putter. We realized it on the sixth well, hole. What happened to Brian? Did he fall out too? Well, no. Here's the did funny it, Did it tip? No, it didn't tip because me jumping out made it kind of cantilever back, I guess. So it was going to, and then when I jumped, he said, he said when he when he was when it was starting to rock like that, he looked over at me and was like, "Dude, we almost tipped over," and I was rolling like ten feet away when he looked over at me. <laughs> Dude, we almost, and he was, I was gone. You know? 
<laughs> so he couldn't believe it. And I said, dude, if I had not bailed out, you know, we would have tipped because all the wow. weight was on my side by then, you know. So, and so, yeah, he was fine, but he felt bad. So anyway, we go back for his putter because he realized he's left his putter on the last hole. So we got all the way back to the last hole. It's not there. And he's like, well, how do you lose a putter? So then as we're driving back down the sixth hole, he's like, I'm staying on the cart path this time. And there's a huge yellow sign that says, stay on the cart path on this hole. <laughs> very dangerous or whatever. And we just hadn't seen that sign. And so we just like took off on down the wild frontier. And uh, so, yeah, so I went, kind of toughed it out the first night. And then I went to the doctor and he said, it's a fracture of your toe. Wow. He how, said it wasn't like super major, but it's it's long? all kinds of colors. My whole foot is just how long? Kind. I'm supposed to be off of it for three days. And then I gotta wear this boot thing, this shoe, Velcro boot shoe thing. And it's all square at the end. You can see how it's square. Yeah. And what that's supposed to do is distribute the weight to your other toes. Huh. So you can't bear you can't put all your weight on that toe. Wow. If you're wearing this, but you also look like you're kind of a scuba diver. It's I was a very kind of curious about the square. Yeah. It's, uh, evidently, that's supposed to scientifically keep you from. Wow. So I'm not walking well. I'm kind of limping, and my buddy Brian feels terrible. Uh, but he also was like, "You jumped out," because I told him, "Let's go down this hill." So it was. He was feeling kind of <laughs> cautious. I said, "Let's go." You know. Wow. Duke's a hazard. Voiceover. I was talking to somebody today about when you're getting old, how you, you get older, you begin to take less chances. Like, yeah. was, like what he was saying, I want to get up on this ladder to replace this light bulb and this electrical pole. And about halfway up, I was like, what am I doing? Right. Like if this thing comes off, you know, so as you get older, like the wisdom, but that didn't happen for you. Like apparently no. you're just now taking off downhill. Well, and the idea too, that if I was 20 years younger, you fall like that all the time. Yeah. But you used to break things a lot falling. I didn't break. We've never, broken ankles. I've hurt ankles. I've definitely. I've broken ankles. Yeah. Not other people's. But no, My own. With all your moves. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I'm amazed it hadn't happened sooner. <laughs> like this exact scenario? Well, I don't know. You know, we've all, you've goofed off in a oh, golf gosh. cart before where you yes. go in the floor and you peel out or whatever, just right into the person's backswing just to do it. You know? <laughs> but this was not intentional. I don't know what happened that caused him to cut it to the left. I think it just kind of lost, he lost control of it He goes, I was riding the brake the whole time because we were flying down that hill Jeez. and it just kind of spilled me that out. Really could have hurt you badly. Yeah. It could have gone a lot worse. If it would have been like, if, if y'all would have flipped that thing and been underneath, you're right. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I could have, you know, I could have landed on my arm wrong, and then I couldn't play guitar. It oh. could have been, yeah. I mean, your toe is pretty key to your show, but yeah. you'll find a way through it. It is stand-up comedy. <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> I may have to sit in a stool. I have a show Saturday in Columbus. Yeah. So I already changed the itinerary for that, where I'm not flying, because I can't walk around in an airport with this thing. Yeah, so but again, oh, your brother's coming. My brother's going to come, up and he's going to drive me. Yeah. He canceled his hunting trip. I feel bad. But we, But I may have saved animals' lives. That's true. Although I don't think he's a great hunter. Are you so. gonna ride? Are you gonna ride in the back seat and put your foot Maybe up? He's good, huh? Are you gonna ride in the back seat and put your foot up? I'm gonna put it up on the dash right where the airbag is. <laughs> I've heard that's what you should do. It's a good plan. You're too tall to do that. You can't put your foot up on the dash. So, yeah, it's not the best. It's already like trying to fold you over to get you into a normal car. Every time you get in my car, you complain. This is a car for small, bro. Yeah, but that's a sports car. Kind oh, of. it's a sports car, all right. No, it's, 
<laughs> it's only 20 years old. <laughs> it's sporty. It's just, what well, Acura Integra is actually the best that Acura ever made, Johnny. Is it? No. I don't know. I don't have data for this. They still make Acuras? They make Acuras, yeah. Okay. It's just a Honda. It's an upgraded Honda. Yeah. It's like Infiniti is Nissan. Um, Lexus, is Lexus is Toyota. Oh, Lexus is Toyota. Acura is Honda. Okay. Yeah. And the then, luxury brand. Yeah, there's the, they're the upgrade. That's why if you look at the A, it's an, it's the Honda H with the two tops touching. So, like, it, it turns in. Oh. See, you know, this thing I'm doing with my fingers right I here. do see that, like yeah. a pincher bug. Yeah. Well, so. good for you. Well, congratulations on all your success. Well, thanks. Hey, uh, I would like to thank you again for lunch. Today you made me uh, – well, you didn't make it. You I put it, baked it, though. You put it in the oven. I a baked. keto pizza. Yeah. So I'm on keto now. Yeah. You're doing good. I'm doing pretty well. I cheated. I had a whole week on the road with curry, and we kind of just let it rip. But. Take, it takes three days to get back on is what I heard, right? To get back There's in. supplements you can take that'll get you back a little quicker. Um, there's like a powder you can make a drink out of, and it's awful tasting, but it'll get you back quicker. Man, I'm really not. I, I feel weird. I had the keto flu. You know, like this. You said that on a text, and I didn't know what that meant. So apparently that's a big thing where you get this extreme weakness, headaches. But my, like, my arms and legs, I went running last week. Yeah. Several times. And it just is really, really difficult. Because you're not. Uh, you're not using sugar for energy right. anymore. My body has not yet learned to take the fat instead of the sugar for energy. But sure. so, uh, so you're supposed to take some time off. But yeah, I just like I just feel real tired. Like even though I'm clear headed, that's what's weird. I'm clear headed but very tired. Yeah. But, and my arms feel like I've been lifting weights. I'm gonna tell you something. I've not been lifting weights, no. not at all. So just the weight of my arms. Yeah. But uh, arms can be heavy though. Oh, let me tell you. Yeah. But yeah, it was good though. I've enjoyed it. It's, uh, it's not so bad and I don't really crave. And the pizza was good. It tastes like kind of like real pizza. It's not yeah, yeah. a fake pizza. It's like an egg. What do we look at? Like egg, a... almond flour. Yeah. But it rises like. It's the crust. It, had a, it tasted like a little real dough. I told you I went to a Mexican restaurant last night, ate like the fajita plate, but we took, we literally snuck in pork rinds and dipped them in That's the. the uh... saddest thing. <laughs> it was a weird moment. Like I'm sneaking in pork rinds. Like contraband. I didn't sneak in because I was in trouble. I was just sneaking in out of shame. Like yeah. I don't answer questions. That's a crispy, crunchy thing to sneak in. It's like a bag crumpling and rumpling. And eh, not in my wife's purse. It's like Narnia. Oh, it's like Narnia she down pulls in there. You can. I tell you, you, reach your hand in there and tell me what you pull out. There's so much stuff. She can fit a lot to a little purse, and she can't find anything. Can your wife find things in her purse? No. Like, hold on a second, I'll get that for you. Yeah. And they're just, they're just, and, and again, she's always like, well, yeah, but I'm carrying everything for the whole family, so that I never win with that. Well, yeah, like if we're sneaking in snacks to the movie theater, which I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but oh, I have major issues with that. Do you? I don't know. That's a it's the first salvation issue. <laughs> no, I think. Uh, that's when you're grateful for the purse because you're like, put all this in there. Yeah. And you save yourself 30 bucks or whatever at the concession stand. No, it's true. For me, it's, oh, sorry. Wow, it's an exciting episode. Hey, <laughs> you love your story there, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> One time my wife yawned during her own story. <laughs> that was a real, I had to stop her. I was like, okay, look. Yeah. Now you, if you don't even like your story. If you're not in this with me, yeah. That's funny. That's funny. No, I, I, I do think that the, the pork rinds feel so counterintuitive. Like I'm really, I'm eating f- like deep yeah. fried pork, ha- skins. pork skins and that's healthy. But, you know, honestly, but I do get it. I had this thought yesterday and my wife said it was good. 
So I'm going to go ahead and share it here. Okay. That we really call the things in food the wrong term when we call it fat. Yeah. We call it fat, but fat's also an adjective. Like think think about this. You don't ever you can't call someone, well, that guy's really protein. Like there's not an adjective right. we use to describe other people, but these two words right. I think really throw us off because fat is something that we that we ascribe as an adjective yeah. to to things or people. And then but what what it really is in food technically is a lipid. We should just start calling them lipids because that's really yeah, what that they are. That sounds very scientific, doesn't it? Well, but protein and fiber, like none of those get applied to a human body. Well, he looks very fibrous yeah. today. Well, that's kind of what happened in the 80s, too, is everybody said, well, you're, the fat you eat is the fat you're wearing, basically. So you're. That's not true. Everything went low fat. Remember those snack whales yeah. cookies? They're just loaded with sugar, but they were low fat. And so you'd eat a whole package like, oh, this is low fat. And fig every, Newtons. And everybody got fatter, oddly enough. People were eating Fig Newtons by the sleeve. Oh, my gosh. It was a very stop the insanity kind of time. Remember that lady? Yes. Spiky haired lady. Yeah. Susan Powder. <laughs> stop the insanity. See, we need to start a revolution. We're we now talking about some lipids. Insanity. Wait. We need to we need to, man. For lipids. Real, I'm uh, eating more lipids. Button your lipids. So that's John Driver. That's my new podcast. <laughs> Every week I'm gonna talk about this one thing because I don't have any other knowledge except this. But uh, it was very well, interesting, very fascinating. Yeah, it de- it never feels healthy to sit and eat a bag of pork rinds, but that's what you can have on this. You can have bacon, sausage, yeah. eggs. Yeah. Well, the weirdest thing is, so my wife makes like this breakfast casserole that we can eat on for days. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's egg, bacon, cheese, all this stuff. It's really, really good. Yeah. But she's like, I don't think you're getting enough like fats. Like you need to take two big globs of butter and put it on top of that and then melt it down. I'm like, wow. So like, I'm just eating. I've heard people who just eat like a bite of butter. Like they're just to get extra fat. No. I'm just like, man, this is, I did it, but man, I didn't eat the bite of butter, but I did put the two globs on (laughs) there. I've never been more attracted to you (laughs) than right now. You're letting me have extra butter. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't know. It's weird, and it's it's a weird diet. It's hard to do what I do on it because some of what I do sometimes people want to go out after the show or whatever, and then you're just like, "Where are we going to go?" Right. Everything is like, or like in the green room, they want to give you these high carb snacks, yep. so you have to request other things, and you feel like a diva. Well, spinach dip stuff. If you go out, you know, yeah. if you're in, it's going to be the the little bars or the little spinach dip. Though is. You gotta have the chips. About the chips. That's what I'm saying. It's the chips that with everything is the problem. That's what why you, you take your pork, pork rinds, rinds, Johnny. You dip them in the spinach. Dip. Carry an extra suitcase <laughs> filled with pork rinds. Oh my gosh! Oh man! You come up with a tour name somewhere around the point. I don't know. <laughs> pork rhinestone cowboy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I did this show for uh, Amway salesman. Yes, in Louisville. This sounds like a joke itself. Seven thousand people. In an Amway, uh, at like a convention center. Wow. They were very nice. That's a lot of people, Tony. And uh, the, the thing was, was I going to make jokes about Amway? I couldn't decide, mm. you know, like what would be a good joke, you know, that would land. Because Rick said he told a joke. He, I always thought that it was my buddy Rick Roberts. He does a ton of corporate events. And so I was like, he told me this story about doing an event for them. But then it comes to find out it wasn't for them. It was in their hotel. Yeah. The Amway Center Hotel, whatever. And it was a corporate there, so it wasn't for Amway salesmen, so it was a little bit easier. But he said he told a joke, like, man, they really took care of me. This hotel's so nice. I was on the third floor, but then I got two guys to take that room, and now I'm on the fifth floor, whatever. So <laughs> the whole idea of the pyramid scheme. 
And so I, my joke that I was going to tell that I knew right away, there's no way this is going to work is, uh, I was going to say like, it's so cool that you guys get together once a year like this, since none of your family and friends will take your calls. <laughs> <laughs> like that was my, cause you know, yeah, if, if you're a pyramid yeah. person or you're a multi-level guy, you, you, you have to get all your friends. Hey, let's go out for coffee and just talk. Right. And then you pitch them your thing. So after a while, they're just like, don't pick up. It's yeah. He's in this thing now. But um, they were super nice. And Amway actually has good products. It's not like they, you know, it's not like Snake Oil. They have really good things. It's just, a, it is what it is. Do you think they'll be a sponsor? I don't. Not after that joke. <laughs> but they were super nice. And uh, anyway, so I finished my set. And it's a subdued audience, a corporate audience. They're all wearing suits. And it's very echoey in there because you can imagine it's a big concrete convention center room. Yeah. And I'm just kind of getting through it. I did fine. I'd say I did like, we always say like in a corporate, an eight is a 10. The scale only goes to eight. Right. You can't kill in a corporate event. Right. They talk a lot of stuff during the show. So I give myself like a six out of eight. Okay. And I give them like a five out of eight. They they weren't chatty. They were good. Okay. But they had just heard a big business presentation. Did they turn the lights down for you? They did. They did good on the lighting. And the sound was good. The stage was good. All All the stuff was there. Um, 7,000, but I only did like 30 minutes. Um, and then, so when I'm getting ready to leave, I'm going, okay, I got my hand in the air. Hey, thanks so much. Big applause. And then, then these people who introduced me who are like, whatever, they're part of that group and they're high up in that group. It's a married couple and they're a little older. And so they come and then they go, wait a minute. And then they said to come this way. And then they walked me back to the center of the stage. Now I'm starting to sweat Mm. because I was like, good. But now I'm getting nervous. I'm starting to like sweat because I'm like, what are they going to do? They want to have this moment with me oh, and talk yeah. to me and interview me. And they said, well, thanks so much for coming. And we've got a gift for you. And they had this gift bag in their hand. They handed it to me. And I don't know. I can't remember what was in the gift bag. I think it was a pen, like a pen set. Yeah. A really nice, whatever the nice pens are. I don't oh. know. And then they have this scroll. Okay. So they hand me this box. And they said, let's read it. And they pull it out. And they, here, I want you to He's read it. He's pulling it out. I want you to read it, John. He's handing it to me. And they read, they pulled it out and unscrolled it and read it. They read it on stage. And it's suitable for framing or whatever you do with a scroll. It's John's a real, gonna, wow, it's heavier than I thought. Yeah, it's parchmented and, wow. So they read this. Wow. And I had to stand there and I'm starting to like, I'm in a suit coat. I'm starting to sweat a little bit. Johnny W., if you always do what interests you, you at least one person will be pleased, but if you share your talents, then all can enjoy. A good humored entertainer helps people forget the day's hardships and adds balance to their step as they walk the tightrope of life. Mm. Thank you for sharing your talent and humor with us with appreciation, love, and respect. The Jaeger family, the entire Jaeger group, and it has their name and stuff. And it yeah. has a logo at the bottom, the glory and grind, the grit. Wait, the, gl- the grit, the grind, and the glory. Yeah. Huh. That's, uh, so it's very nice. Are you going to post this? I'm going to put it up on put the wall. On the wall. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really substantial. It is. It's got the little poles that hold the scroll together are heavy. They're like a metal. What if, like, rods. in the what if, like, in the forties, and they went to the caves, you know, the Qumran caves, to find the yeah. Dead Sea Scrolls and they open one up and it had this? Like, it ruined the whole thing. This will be unearthed by archaeologists in the future, and they'll be like, and they're going to assume, yeah, that who ever, was this? Was he wow, a king? He must have been so famous. Yeah, yeah. Who would have made a scroll? It's very nice. Well, that was nice of him. Yeah, I didn't roll it up correctly. I'm it was sorry. a weird. Uh, it was a weird moment that I wasn't expecting, and so I kind of threw. Me. No, not at all. I didn't cry. Okay, but they were nice, and um, yeah, it went really well. And wow. Um, so that was one of the 
it was a weird week. You know, we had all kinds of events. I did like a church event. I did a ticketed event at a church. I did that corporate event. Then I did a Sunday morning service where I like preached yeah. uh, and did comedy. And then I did a show that night. It was, a, that was in Texas in the Houston area. Wow. So it was cool. Yeah. You've been gone a lot, man. It was a long uh, trip and Curry went with me on that one. So that was, that's good. It was a good marriage test. Well, you need more of those. Yeah. yeah. You need to know, like, what yeah. am I What am I working with here? Yeah, I need a little more. Yeah. You guys have been married, what, 22? 20, it'll be 20, uh, it's 23. It's past 23, right? Wow. Yeah. 23 was August, so. Man. Long time, John. I think at this point in society, like, I really think the hard times happen at 12. Yeah. As, like, a marriage counselor, I've noticed that between, between 10 and 12. Yeah. I think there's a lot people can put up with for a long time. And then I think something probably about if, if you get air, married at the average age, most people do in that in that sort of scope, that time. Yeah. I think then you really begin coming into a different level of adulthood and maturity. It's not just crotchiness either. It's like you're suddenly a little more aware of what how you actually feel about the world or different things. Um, yeah, or like I think too is like you start – if you're bothered by something and you're like, well, this isn't going to get better – and I still have some of my life left or whatever. That's when you get kind of selfish. You're like, yeah, I could still maybe have a chance at a better life. <laughs> well, yeah. But after you've been married like 30, 40 years, you're like, look, we, I've, this person, I've oh. taken the best years from them at best, you know? So oh, it's like, gosh. it's, I feel responsibility to just, this be a better person. You know what I'm saying? Like if I feel right. like reflective of myself or I'm feeling sorry for myself, like, oh, but I just more like, yeah, but m- most of that's my fault. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do find myself blaming a lot less. Like most of the problems in my life are my fault, for sure. Um, so I voted today. Okay, early voting. Speaking I'll, of things I'll, that are John's fault, I'll be in Dallas next week, and I, I realized that this week um, at a yeah. conference, and so I had to go today. Man, this this. Did you post a, a picture of yourself with the sticker, or it didn't happen? Right, that's the rule. I did not post with a sticker. Oh. And I did not do, and I don't mean, I don't, listen. We were, I think they throw your vote away if they don't see that you've done that. We're going to dance so delicately here. So delicately. Yeah. I, mean, I don't mean metaphorically. Like, we're going to get up and dance. I can't dance. I can't put weight <laughs> on this foot, John. I'm not supposed to. I, I just, the 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 posting, I, I voted red, I voted blue. Have you seen all this on Facebook? Oh, right, uh, right, right. What are they, they has a name. Or something, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, the whole idea that you just click one party ticket and you just go. Yeah, I just, I'm really, I'm really struggling. Blindly just pull the lever for whoever's uh, aligned with whatever party. And, and, and I doubt that, it, and again, if you did that, I doubt that it's blind. I think that, I listened to a great video about, should we as Christians be one issue voters? Yeah. And he said... No, there shouldn't be one issue that causes you to vote necessarily because every candidate is like, look, until Jesus himself runs for office, you're not going to find a perfect candidate. But so every candidate, you know, and if you think you have, then you're just setting yourself up for disillusion. I mean, the, the candidates in an earthly system can't fix the problems of society. We can hope to better align ourselves with biblical principles yeah. so that we believe God's ways will lead to, to better ways. Because, we, you know, but... He says, but there are things about candidates that can be disqualifiers for you. Yeah. And he uses the example like, you know, if you're dating someone and, and he's this great dude that seems like he's marriage material, except for the fact that he sleeps with a different woman every Friday night. 
then right. you know that's going to disqualify him. That that'd be a bad choice at that point. So picking out what those things are, uh, and, and most Christians for themselves already know what those are. Whether it's you know, and he even points out the the way that children are treated uh, inside the womb, or possibly the way that children are being treated at the border. Yeah, and the heart of that politician towards those issues should matter to you. And 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 sometimes those things are in conflict with one another because maybe and, and he had an, another video about you know what do you do when you feel like you can't vote for either candidate and um because man i won't tell you it's it's a hard i feel in some ways as if conservatism has convinced christians they have to vote a certain way and that there's no accountability or recourse for when those conservatives don't uphold Christian values, yeah. I don't mean just in their own lives either. I'm not asking for perfection. I'm not. I'm not being legalistic. But I mean, literally, it'd be okay for you to stand a, stand publicly in ways that are non-Christian as long as they're not this way. Yeah. As long as it's not. So I mean, it, it does. It like entraps you. So you, you might literally not want to help the widow and the orphan at all. But you say you're pro-life. So therefore, what am I supposed to do with that when your opponent is not? And you, it's like the, the ethical dilemmas. And so there's such a freedom there because they're going to gain this enormous evangelical vote, okay, Whether you can, or Christian vote, if you want to say that, off of one issue. Mm-hmm. And that, to be honest with you, most conservatives have not affected that issue who've been in power in in a, in a long long time, nothing. Right. Roe v. Wade's not been overturned. You know, even the conservative justice that we just put in is not out to overturn that. He believes actually that's the rule of law. Now maybe to defund organizations that yeah. are tax dollars. I totally agree with all that. I am a conservative in that respect. But this idea that no no no, if you're a Christian, you must vote this way, even though it's only off of one issue, and it doesn't matter that I have these other things because I do care. I do care about how, and we were talking before, you know, I've been to South America a dozen times. I I hold, you know, orphans in my arms. I've helped widows. I'm not good at that. I'm saying I've been with organizations doing great things where I'm exposed to that. And the idea that I'm going to now say, I don't want to help them if they're coming near my border. Right. Like I think I'm all, everybody be clear for you freak out because I I mean, you can polarize if you want to. That's fine. But hear what I'm saying. I, I believe in a secure border. Uh, I believe in a process that makes sense. Uh, I believe in a, a reasonable path to citizenship that all of our great-grandparents had when they came to Ellis Island. I believe in, in bettering the system, though it'll never be perfect. I believe in making it make more sense. But what I'm really talking about is the heart. When you – I saw commercials, Johnny, that just they, – they just they, – they wounded me. When we po- – it's like fear-mongering and politi- – I'm politicizing yeah. those people. And we can say, oh, well, there's somebody embedded there is going to do us harm. And you know what? I started thinking – I told someone yesterday like Jim Elliott and his team of missionaries who flew to Ecuador and they went to take the grace of God, the message of that grace to the most violent people group on earth that people knew of at the time. And they were making headway, and that's what the movie The End of the Spear was made about. Mm -hmm. And then they get killed by those guys, and we are elevating that story as 
Like, like he's a hero and he, yeah. It was the he epitome. gave of himself. It was the epitome of the gospel. Yeah. Like we would say, well, that's, that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. It's exactly, uh, he's not, and we're not like we all want to go get killed or something. But if you do, if you lose your life for my sake, you gain it. Like we understand that. Right. His, then their wives went, lived with that same uh, group of people and God literally transformed the whole village. And it's an unbelievable story. And in fact, I just saw a video today. One of the guys that killed the missionaries is one of the leaders today still winning people to Christ in his old age. And, and you go, well, that's great. But I think it's so easy in the political environment to like completely to think, though, well, if, if I happen to let someone into my nation so they can eat. You know, and not that I get it, man. I'm not whatever your your hot button issue is, whether it's welfare, you know. Yes, the system's broken. Yeah, I'm 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 all for making those systems make more sense. I'm for accountability. I'm I'm not just for those. Right. Uh, it's it's just easy to polarize. I think I'm speaking and thinking reasonably, but I will say this: I don't want to go on television as on an ad and say I'm going to stop that caravan of people. Yeah. Which, by the way, you don't have the jurisdiction or the right to stop what somebody's doing in a foreign country who's not in your country. And the fact that a voter would go, yeah, we're going to stop that. Like, who do we think we are? Yeah. And and it's it's documented how many women and children are in that dying right now. And you realize how I started, I thought of this, Johnny. I hate to go off in the soapbox, but how desperate I would have to be to take Sadie and Laura and leave because of – What's going on politically, unrest, right. because of civil war, because of the sex trafficking and the fact that they're in danger of being stolen. The, and then the idea of me being on the road with no provision for them, I can't really protect them. I'm going to be up all night watching so someone doesn't steal them and put them into slavery, trying to get somewhere, yeah. just anywhere, that I would not be in, have my family in imminent danger. And I'm not saying that everybody in there has pure motives or anything like that. But when we, but we also don't know that everybody doesn't. We don't, and that's the thing we're we're geared towards. Somehow, evangelicals have become geared towards self preservation, and there's a lot of that. That's, well, not everybody, but I think certainly in the movement that tends to be what the political, yeah, what the political system wants us to do. Yeah, like your worst fear should should be living a life of insignificance, not. Uh, uh, I get, I gave my I let somebody win me over and then I let them in and they killed me or whatever. Like that's our what would happen if that you know this. So we we use this worst case scenario to build a case against everybody, right. including refugees or people that are leaving terrible situations. They mean us no harm. There's a vetting system that's in place for a lot of this already. So people that act like people are just coming over in waves and it's unstoppable and it's like a sieve over there. I'm not, just, pro, I'm not pro illegal immigration. Right. <laughs> like I'm not. The pathway needs to be easier. You know, my friend uh, who's a comedian, Joey Aiello, he, his wife is from Ecuador. Mm-hmm. And she uh, came, he met her when she was coming over on a work visa two different summers to work at the theme park in Minnesota yeah. where he lived. So they kind of dated and courted. Then she'd have to go back every year. And then the third year, he asked her to marry him. And he went there to marry her. And then she had to get legal citizenship. And it was, it took, well, she was started, I think, when that whole visa process started. And I think he said it took four years. 
We just this is somebody who was working here, yeah. had no criminal record, and it still took four years. Like, there's got to be We had a gentleman in a church. Way. gentleman in church just got a citizenship. Ten years. Yeah. It took him ten years. And, the, again, something about that system does not seem like that's the way it would have been for our our ancestors right. who, who did this. And I think that I think that it's so key, if you're listening to this, I think it's so key to know that I'm not claiming to have right answers. I'm not claiming, I'm claiming one, one thing. I would rather be found first as a radically compassionate believer and follower of Christ than I would a member of a certain political party. Yeah. And if it, I'm not saying to put my family in danger, but again, I think you're right. My family is not in danger from a caravan. It's just not. The idea that you're going to convince me that it is, there's been five terrorist attacks I can think of in the last like two or three months, and they've all been white supremacists who are convinced that everybody of a different color, ethnicity, or creed than them are a danger to our way of life, whatever that is, and they're literally the ones who are taking lives. I'm not saying it won't happen. I mean, the Muslim extremists and all those things are a real danger that our law enforcement and intelligence agencies yeah. work around the clock to help us, and I'm so grateful for that. It's all danger. I'm just pointing out that it may be, it may be that we're getting duped a little bit by those who want to get elected, that the system is saying, be afraid be enraged, pick a poll. You must be either here or here. You can't be in the middle on this. There can't be any real human beings who are involved in this who don't have completely ill-conceived great grandeur plans to take us out. And we do have enemies. I'm aware of that. But they may not be everybody outside of of the nation. And and then the flip side is too, in Christ – in Christ, I mean, I, I feel like that there's this the, – the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant are like so key from God in the Old Testament to God in the New Testament. So key to that process. And I just want to be found compassionate. Even if I say, hey, our political system mm-hmm. requires this, this, and this of you in order to keep our citizens safe, in order to keep our systems intact where, we, where taxes are paid and, and, and we don't go under, we're going to put you through a process all about that. But I don't want to be found saying no – those people, whoever those people are, that's always dangerous when there's a those people. I just think it's a dangerous thing. They're not welcome here because our way of life is going to be threatened yeah. by, by their presence. I just think that's a dangerous thing. I mean, I may be off, and I understand that's not popular necessarily, and I just got to ask the question, why? Like, I want to be found I want to be found letting my life lose for the sake of the kingdom the best I can. Is it really that much for me to lose? So anyway – Every every extreme thing you would counter that with, I would just say I probably don't believe anyway. I'm not I'm not saying no process. I'm not saying no. Yeah. You know, I'm just saying hey, I don't want to be found on the news or on a political ad saying I'm going to stop right. everybody who doesn't look like me. I think that's a wrong heart. But well, and there's a thing about when we try to protect ourselves, you know, because you could get you could go to the extreme of just self protection where you just like it's not even safe to leave my house. There's a when you were talking, I was I looked up this C.S. Lewis quote. Um, and it says, there is no safe investment to love at all is to be vulnerable, love anything. And your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, 
not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternate to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Wow. So it's like we make this our own hell yeah. when we keep ourselves from any risk. And I'm a risk. We talked about getting older and you take less chances. Yeah. But I think older people also take less chances with their heart. They're more afraid of being hurt. They're more. And so that's one of the things that makes us age. It's one of the things that makes us is that fear. And I hate when I see politicians playing on fear. And it happens on the left, too. You see. Oh, absolutely. You see policies on the left saying, this guy's going to take away your Social Security. Yeah. Or you got these benefits and these entitlements that you've been getting and the the, the right wing guy's going to take them away. And it just goes back and forth. And the right wing guy says, it's an outside threat that's going to blow us up if you don't vote for me and I'll build a wall and keep them all out. But I think somewhere we got to figure out as a Christian, what does that mean for us? And what are we doing with our heart? Are we giving our heart away or are we protecting it? Are we building a wall of our own? Yeah. And it's dangerous. It's a brilliant quote. And it is dangerous. And I think, again, I w- it's so important to make these statements. I am a conservative, but I'm a Christian first. Yeah, I care about the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant, and the refugee because Christ does. It's explicit. It's not like it's, it's not like you're finding obscure scripture for this. It's explicit. Yeah. In God's law in the Old Testament, it was required of, of the Israelites I thought of that story of Elijah, uh, excuse me, it may have been Elisha, and where he's surrounded on all sides mm-hmm. by his enemies. Like these are national enemies like of Israel. They're coming into Israel to take out the prophet who keeps telling everybody. He keeps, he keeps telling the king where the enemy troops are moving because he's a prophet. And so finally the enemy king says, well, let's just go take out the guy who's telling the other king where we're going to be. Now, I always thought that was funny as if he would have known they were coming. Yeah. And so his home is like in this little basin, basically, with a ridge around it. And the servant goes out in the morning to do his, his chores. He looks up and realizes they're surrounded on that ridge by a complete army. He runs inside and he tells Elijah, I want to say. It's Elisha, I think. I think it's Shah. Because I think the servant's not Elisha who would have been the servant. Anyway. And he says, we're surrounded by all sides. And, and Elisha says to uh, praise and says, God, you know, open the eyes of the servant. And he says, I mean, there are more for us than, than are against us. And that's when he sees the armies of heaven that, you know, Elisha never claims to even have to see, but he wants the servant to see. He trusts and knows that God's got that enemy surrounded. Yeah. And then he prays and God strikes the enemy army blind. Elisha comes out because they're all freaking out. They're blind. And he says, here, follow me. I'll take you where you need to go. Leads the entire army into the fortress of Israel, like into their capital, mm-hmm. straight inside before. And now they're surrounded. And he says, God, open their eyes. And now the whole enemy army is surrounded. And the king of Israel rises up and says, my Lord, shall we kill them? Like he's thinking, this is what we came here to do. Mm-hmm. And Elisha says, no, you don't kill prisoners of war. Make a banquet for them. They make a feast, feed their enemies, and there's peace between Israel and the enemy after that. Hmm. Because – and those are – those are. I mean these are not – these are terrorists. 
They right. came to kill you, you know. Yeah. And I believe in national defense. I believe in tracking down terrorists. I do. I believe in all of that. I, I'm not. I'm not opposed to that. I'm saying, but scripturally, that story is in line. It's it's in alignment with the heart of God, and it is really offensively counterintuitive to what we feel like as just normal humans and our our sense of self-preservation. And it should be. And the moment that I give in to one side and I don't feel this uncomfortability to say that Jesus Christ, the hallmark of the entire gospel is that we love our enemies. It's the hallmark. It's mm-hmm. what he did to us. We were his enemies. It's, 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 that's why I used to think the whole well, if you don't forgive others, he won't forgive you was like this real legalistic thing. And I had to make sure I never hold a grudge and absolutely don't hold a grudge. But what he's saying is, is you haven't grasped the gospel if yeah. you don't forgive other people yeah. because you never you don't really realize that you were my enemy <laughs> and that yeah. I forgave you. Yeah, it's the parable of the merciful servant, the hundred thousand dollar debt. Yeah. And then he goes out and finds somebody that owes him ten dollars and starts choking him to get the $10 back. And that's the, that's what made the king mad. He's like, you don't even realize I forgave you a $100,000 debt. And so, yeah, that's that story, that parable really hit me in my 20s. I just was like, oh. Because I just thought, well, I'm good. I, I, didn't, I didn't do all the crazy things that all my friends did in high school. So I was just comparing myself. It was like this comparative righteousness, you know. So when you realize, oh, it takes a $100,000 We've all been forgiven a hundred thousand dollar debt. Yeah. And if you have any sin in your heart, you're far away from God. He's a holy God. So when you start realizing that you're like, oh, and it helps you to extend grace. If you don't realize you've been extended grace, you're not gonna extend grace. There's no way you can. Yeah. And we really do live our lives as if somebody else is getting more grace than us. Yeah. Because we don't need as much. It's the greatest danger, I think. You know, Todd Wagner says that the greatest evil in America today is the dead church. It's not these other things. It's us not realizing the depth of the gospel and not truly living. That is not a. That's not meant to be. Hey, everybody, do better. Do better right. deeds. We can't give our way out of this thing. But when our hearts truly believe that someone of a different nationality, ethnicity, a different situation, that the homeless guy or or the gay guy or the person who's you know in another situation than us, that they somehow need Jesus actually more than I do. Yeah. Then. It's that is the that is the danger uh, that that is legalism. It's just a new law that mm-hmm. you've set up for yourself, and that's what I've been repenting of for a while now, and where I'm growing. It's not meant to be an indictment of others. I'm telling you, this is the indictment of me. I, I told uh, the church on Sunday that because my kid struggles, she had a nightmare about heaven and hell, and, yeah. and she struggles to know like, well, I, I don't know what does it feel like to be a Christian still. Like if those those fears come up. And I felt like I had this thing from in my heart that really just helped. And I used it with the church. I came in Sunday and I, I took out a bag and I put Mickey Mouse ears on and I put these big Mickey Mouse gloves on. I saw a photo and, yeah. of that and I was like, I need context for this. <laughs> and I said, it starts about Disney World. And I said, you know, these are the things that people inside of Disney wear. Inside of Disney, this is normal. And in fact, you might look weird if you're not wearing some yeah. sort of Mickey, you know, Mm-hmm. It's higher apparel or whatever, something. Outside the park, it's kind of weird necessarily, a grown man walking around with Mickey ears on. I said, but here's the thing. When you go to get into that park, if they say, well, why should we let you in? And you reach in your bag and put on Mickey ears and these gloves, and you say, well, but here, this is why. They're not letting you in. Right. But that's not why kids get into Disney World. 
is not because they look like kids inside of Disney World. Mm-hmm. And that they're, and we're talking about the sacred practices of the church. I was like, you know, the things that we do inside the kingdom are not the things that get us inside the kingdom. Right. And it's so, it's so imperative that we return to that knowledge of that every day because I've never met a kid who could afford to get into Disney. Not a chance to go get a seven day park hopper or whatever. They could not, they could mow yard. A a true like eight year old will never be able to come up with what it takes for transportation and admission into Disney. They get into Disney, but also I've never seen a kid standing in line worried that they weren't going to get in. Every one of them were confident, not because they had enough money. Right. They don't even know how much money it costs. They can't even comprehend the thousands of dollars that parents spend. They get into Disney for one reason. They're holding the hand of a parent. And the parent has paid their way, and they put a little wristband on them. And that wristband, they never, they didn't earn it. They just put it on. Mm-hmm. And they say, I'm going to go with them. As long as you're with dad, you get into Disney. And when you're inside, you need to remember that. It, it, no matter how many Mickey ice cream bars you eat, none of those make you someone who got into Disney, you got into Disney for one reason. It was free because of who you were with. Yeah. And I think most Christians forget that, that there was a price paid that you could not pay. And we don't really believe that because we believe somebody else owes a greater price than us. But the admission into salvation is a price that no one can pay. It is the beauty of it. It only, and, and the confidence to say I'm in because of him. So I ask my kid all the time, can you tell me why you're going to heaven? Can you tell me why you're a Christian today? And, you know, she'd love to give you that pat preacher's kid answer because Jesus is my savior. So what does that mean? What does that mean exactly? Yeah. Like, do you really trust that Jesus is paying for things that you can't pay for? That you can't be good enough. You can't put on enough. Put on the Mickey ears. It's great. That's a part of your enjoyment of the life inside the kingdom. All those things are great. I mean, grow in righteousness and holiness. Grow in generosity. Grow in the way that you're in community. Mm-hmm. But those things do not make you one who gets your admission. Your mission comes through one thing alone. And I think that this whole talk that we've had today about is about that for me. It's about saying, listen, I politically am conservative. Like that's where I, I, I want I want taxation and healthcare and other things to be done with responsibility. I want secure borders. I don't want to keep letting in convicted felons who, who, who don't belong here. I don't want to deport them and let them back in. I I, I want, I want a penal system that makes sense. I want there to be consequences for our actions. I want everything that every other conservative wants, but I will, I I will not let though politicians and elections I will not become a part of a movement where I forget about the fact that there are real people to whom Christ calls me to show compassion because I realize I am the orphan. Yeah. I am the widow. I am the outsider and the refugee. And if I don't think I am, then I have not yet fully realized how I got into this park. Yeah. <laughs> and I must remember every day. Yeah, I relate to everything you said except for it would be Dollywood except for Disney. <laughs> what would you we put? Couldn't, we couldn't afford Disney. So, <laughs> What would you put on in order to look like you should get into Dollywood? Uh, it's... <laughs> We're just kind of, you're nodding. You're like, nodding. No, don't John, do don't do it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to set you up that bad. A big blonde wig, maybe? <laughs> there you that go. That could be less offensive. Oh, man. My kid weird. just went to Dollywood, by the way, with grandparents, Grammy and Papa Take, Sadie, and the nephews. Dolly's the best. She is. and She's super funny, too. Oh, she's great. Uh, and she's so funny and, and sharp. I mean, she's in her 70s now, and she's still writing and doing all this crazy stuff. It's amazing. But she has a sense of humor about her persona. That's unlike. She's so likable. And uh, we went and saw 9 to 5, okay, her 
like the Broadway play based on that movie, and it won a Tony and won all oh, these Tonys yeah. and stuff. So it was the, the T Pack, and it was the premiere of it at T Pack, or where we show our Broadway plays. They're off Broadway, so it's the off Broadway cast. Dolly was there that night for the premiere. Nobody knew. So when the thing, everybody takes their bow, and then the curtain goes down, then it comes back up, and Dolly's there. So now three thousand people are freaking out. You know, wow. She says thanks so much, so much. Went into this. Well, I didn't know this, but she wrote all those songs, like these adapted songs for the Broadway show. Was she the movie wrote, first? Yeah, yeah, way first. It was oh, like eighties. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was like eighties. Dabney Coleman and Lily Tomlin. And, I remember uh, the movie. Jane I just Fonda. can't remember which one. Yeah, so they adapted the play like twenty years later. So she wrote all these extra songs for it. Like she's a brilliant uh, writer, and oh, so yeah. she's just going on about thanks so much for coming. It means so much. This was a dream I had for a decade, and blah blah. blah. And then she goes, "Well, I'm gonna let y'all go. Y'all probably about to pee so bad you about to bust." <laughs> it was just like so folksy and. Yeah. It was just so amazing. Endearing. Yeah. yeah, she's just such a sweet person. And uh, but the, the funniest story about Dolly is okay. This is a true story. So she, uh, so a friend of mine told me this that she was putting her hands in the cement when she got her star on the Walk of Fame. Yeah. So you go to the front of the Chinese theater, you put your hands in the cement right next to your star, and all this. So she put her hands in the cement, and, and all these reporters around, and some smart like dude reporter says, "Why don't you put some more, more your more prominent features in the concrete?" Oh dear. Just real embarrassing. Yeah. Stupid to say. And she, without even thinking, she snaps back, oh, no, I'm afraid small children will fall in and get hurt. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah. Dolly's the best. She I don't know what I'm saying, but Dollywood would be my – that would be – I get into Dollywood. Because so of, of all my, the profound thing that I said, that's what you took I was away. thinking of riding the blazing fury, John, <laughs> which is an allegory for hell, maybe. Maybe. Perhaps. Uh, uh... Maybe the – okay, so the train coming at you, that's the caravan because it's your worst fear. Mm. That a train's going to hit you, and it ends up being just a projector, and you <laughs> narrowly miss it anyway. Yeah. But it was your worst fear. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. It's good. It's good. It's, it's not. It's not that great. No. So no, y'all did trunk or treat this year, right? We did at the church. I didn't yeah. get to go. It was actually a really. It was one of our best years ever. What? I missed it. The Did you dress up? I did. As uh, I was uh, Chewbacca in street clothes. I don't. I was just in my clothes with a huge Chewbacca mask, like huge. <laughs> but you're not – That's. I don't think you understand what Chewbacca is. No, I don't, but that helped me to do it. So my daughter was uh, <laughs> bat was bat girl, okay. bat woman. Yeah. We did a – it was a Disney theme. So we did a under the sea in our, our trunk or back of our SUV. But bat girl's not – No, not Disney. at all. Not no. at all. You can do whatever you want to do, but – and then yeah. Laura had like a um, like an aerial wig and a, and like um, I did see that she and, had the seashells yeah, and the, yeah so it was great way to good but man the people really went out for their for their trunks this time like way I mean the Gomez's stinking went and rented a van elsewhere or got another van for theirs oh wow and like did a big thing they lost their deposit they <laughs> it was great it was great in fact we're gonna announce. Uh, I think the winners on Sunday. Oh, there's a there was a contest. Well, you know, it was for fun, but uh, and huge prizes. Did you did did you play the lottery? One point six billion. No, I never play. Don't play. I'm not against it or anything. It's whatever, but it just yeah. feels like I don't know. Yeah, you played. I take it. I did. I was you won f- some fun. You won. My mom won two dollars. So two dollars. I know. Yeah, it was crazy. How much was the ticket? Two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me it was a. The largest one in history. You just got to say like you're right. part of it kind of thing, you know. But, but once they take out taxes, it's barely a billion. I know. I was like, well, you know. <laughs> I, was, I love that. It's like, no, no, no. 
you know, how did you, you were one time when that comedian said, you know, like, if you play the lottery now, what's it up to? And like 20 million. Oh, yeah, it's not even now, worth getting wait, out of them. What would I do with 20 million? It's, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no. It yeah, a billion like, dollars would be, that's pretty good. Yeah. I, yeah. Are was, you one of those people that says you wouldn't change anything though? Your life would not change. I wish we lived in a state where you didn't have to tell. That'd be great. If you could have the billion and not but tell you anybody. Would, people would know, right? I think You're I'd, not going to keep it. Secret. I think I'd keep my house because I love my house. I think I'd redo the bathroom. And, That'd be now a second house, though. So, And I would get a house at the <laughs> beach and probably one overseas, obviously. I mean, I could see me having places because we like to travel. Places where I could send people and places I like to go. Yeah. Uh, that'd be amazing. Uh, and... I would probably, you know, it's so funny. I'd drive a 1996 Toyota T100. It's kind of like a collectible thing. I'd probably just totally soup up my T100. Really? Like you just, wouldn't just get a different and then I, But I'd get it a car. I'd get a nice, probably okay. new car or a little SUV kind of thing. But keep my old truck and just make it like the best antique T100 ever. And, uh, wow. you know, my dream would be like, and, and it's not, again, I, I'm not, I'm not like completely altruistic in every way or something, you know, but. I would love to call Compassion International or, or set up a meeting with somebody there in the higher up. And you work for them. Yeah. And so, and like sit down and, and say, I'd like to find out how many, how much money would it take to sponsor all the kids remaining in, say, South America that we yeah. can't find sponsors for? They've been waiting. And then they were like, well, that's going to take like $20 million or whatever. It's like, all right, well, let's go ahead and sponsor South America. Right. Like, I would how many left in Asia? Well, that's like fifty million. All right, here's the deal. I'm going to give y'all a hundred million dollars. Yeah, I'm going to put it. You know what? What's to do? Or I'm going to put it in this account so it generates, you know, ten million a year or something. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because surely with that kind of money, with the right investors, you can generate a ton. And we're just going to make sure that forever you can sponsor every kid. But that may hurt compassion in terms of them getting sponsors. I don't. I don't know. know. I, I've seen presentations of them in the past year or two where. They're speaking to other artists. Like I go to an artist appreciation dinner sometimes, and it's all artists and the people who speak there from Compassion. One of them gave statistics, and it said, if you if you believe this lie of like, well, there's just too many people, and poverty is just going to be a thing that we live with. Right. We're just throwing a snowball into a campfire, and it's not not really. He said, we're reversing poverty. Wow. So poverty can be reversed in our lifetime. It can be eradicated as far as like poverty that people die from. You know, childhood diseases, you know, mosquitoes and whatever. Uh, uh, because somebody didn't have clean water, they die yeah. a, a painful, awful death because of, you know, polluted water. That does not have to happen. And we can reverse this. And he shows numbers. He says, I want you to have a hopeful mindset towards what you're doing, not a we, – we started out as this in this desperation mindset. And now what I want you to help, not sell, but help – convince people of is that we can do this in our lifetime we can reverse poverty it's pretty cool we can certainly reverse poverty in certain areas i do think you know jesus's words the poor you always have with you and i, and I believe that i do believe that there are some things that will that, that I, i'm gonna say this a little bit on this sunday like we talk about sin so much uh, I, mean, I don't know if you've watched man in the high castle Mm-mm. but it's what basically would happen if right the alternate reality germany and japan had won yeah the war and it's fascinating and there's this uh, – well, I don't want to tell it because I'm going to tell some of this Sunday. But basically people go back to the normal lives. Guys who fought for the U.S. Mm-hmm. who survived are now like policemen in the American Reich. So they have to pledge allegiance to the Nazis, and they are Nazis now mm-hmm. in the 50s. They're now Nazis. 
And they, but it looks like Andy Griffith, except that there's a concentration camp right there in the middle of Kansas. Yeah. Because if you're old or if you're born with a deformity or whatever, then they're going to, you know, like, so it's like all these sick things going on. And the deal is some of the characters don't, they've just become used to that. Well, yeah. they're not killing anybody. The deal is, it's, and I thought about the difference between sin and then this is not like the sin you go commit on the front lines. You're not in the, at war anymore, but they're yeah. occupied. Like it's almost like we're, we're occupied by sin, and so there's going to be poverty until this right. dispensation, this time broken ends. System. But I do believe you're exactly right. I mean, for we can change it in nations. Yeah, because and, what happens know. is it's a it's a defeatist mindset. We started out. You and I grew up with an alarmist mindset of we've got to evangelize the world yeah, uh, because everybody has to hear the gospel. We're, we thought we were going to bring on the coming of Christ. You know, that was part of the big Pentecostal movement. It was more alarmist. And uh, we're seeing some of that now even with this, you know, this president is kind of an alarmist president. And so this idea that like let's inject some hope into this, that – there, we. What happens when you don't believe that you can do any difference? That's why people don't vote. That's why people don't give. That's why people don't take care of one person. Because they say, "Well, I can't take care of everybody." Yeah. So they don't take care of one person. Yeah. You know. But if everybody took care of one person, that would be everybody. So I think compassion's realizing that, and they're saying, "Like, well, look at the numbers. This yeah. is this is happening. This is we're rolling this back some, even with advanced birth rates and everything. Like we're rolling it back some." So. I think that hopeful mindset is more a Christian response than this idea of like, well, you know, at least they're not Americans. Like you ever see the news reports will be like a plane crashed, blah, blah, blah. Two Americans were on board, like 300 people died. Yeah. But they know that we would want to know how many of them are us. Right. And that's where nationalism, I think, gets dangerous when we don't see people's as as image bearers of God unless they have our white skin and our nationality. Well, and we're doing it within our ourselves as well. Like there're going to be some who listen to the things we talked about today and they're going to say, "Well, you guys are liberals." Yeah. Like I literally liberal right now in the conservative circles gets thrown around like the F word. Right. Like that I believe that and I I, I do I challenge myself to say, "Well, did you listen to anything that we said?" And will that term like did did you hear did you agree or disagree with especially the biblical side? Of what we said and is not casting a term that makes us a them and an us just another excuse to not have to listen to anybody except us. And so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 this like this polarization within. Mm-hmm. I don't want to cast whether I don't want to just cast this on you. So, well, OK, obviously you've said some things now that let me sum you up, put you in a category, not mm-hmm. listen to the merits or the downsides of what you're saying. And it's the death of dialogue. And honestly, it's, right. a, it's a, honestly a cowardly, really non-intellectual way to communicate is that because this is uncomfortable and I disagree with one part or I don't fully understand one part or I can't get on one side of what you're saying, yeah. that I'm going to dismiss it all and just shut down the conversation and right. throw it to rhetoric instead. Yeah, what's well, so. that echo chamber? And it's, sim- it's kind of similar to that C.S. Lewis quote of like, if you only are around people who agree 100% with you, that's a way of protecting yourself from outside viewpoints. But in the end, it's kind of a death yeah, because you don't, you're not fully experiencing life. All you're doing is just like it's like if everybody in your office was Dwight Schrute, yeah, and they only told you what you wanted to hear, they only agreed with you and sucked up to you because they wanted. 
Like that's not health. That's it's this illusion of health. Though. I was like, well, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. You know, um, I talk about it with Tim Hawkins. He travels a ton. Well, he's been doing ticketed events where his face is on the ticket and thousands of people come to see him every weekend. And if he wasn't a motivated person to put on a great show, it could easily make him soft because he's not been in front of audiences that don't care about him. So sometimes I know of comedians that will go purposefully put themselves in positions to where they have to know, like, if I just go to an open mic, what's this going to get versus, you know, sometimes a show can become like this cheerleading rally. John Acuff, uh, what happened? John Acuff, the author. <laughs> so John, you just cut me off. Did it, is it programmed to go off at that time? Yeah, That's hilarious. I didn't have it yet. They Look won't hear you. that though. So yeah. only you would. Yeah. So John Acuff, uh, the author, he's boy, he's written four or five bestselling New York best times, New York times, bestselling books. So he has had this bucket list thing of doing a comedy night. And so he scheduled it. And he has a platform to put people in that room, but he knew going into it, like, I understand that this is, I've mitigated the risk of this because these are my fans. Yeah. They want me to do well. In other words, and I've talked with him. I went backstage and we talked and he was, you know, he was, he had a great attitude about it, but he actually did well. I mean, he did really well, uh, especially for his first time. Um, but he knew that this is a specific situation, right? He's not. He's not. He's a, not having to pay dues in the same way that a, a regular comedian is paying dues. Right. If I decided to go do a set at Zany's, it'd right. be different. Yeah, I mean, he he had people that wanted to be there. It was almost like they were there to witness a historic thing. Well, yeah. we know this is the first time that John's doing. Well, we know this. he's funny. We know he's got right. He's talented, and, yeah. and uh, but will it transfer from right. the page to the stage? That's the thing. Is but I thought he did really well. He had a good attitude about it. And it was interesting, like, as a sociological kind of experiment to see, okay, what – it's not that they won't laugh if it's not funny, but they're there for him to do well. Well, it's like Michael Jordan going to play – hit a baseball. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? The greatest athlete of our time, will he be able to mm-hmm. – to, he'll be above average, Yeah. you know, in that sport. But could he, you know – It was a, cool, and he – you know, we all went out after to eat, and then it was Nate Bergazzi came over and John Christ, and, and so we're all just talking shop, and he was just like – it was cool being just a fly on the wall while you guys just talk shop. Yeah. And uh, so you got to kind of live out this this cool dream. Yeah. But his pl- other platform made it possible. Sure. And that's okay. But um, I don't know. It's, that's exactly it's what I plan to do whenever I build my Is it really? To go play baseball. Yeah. So That's good. You thought it was good. You're ready. <laughs> <laughs> People... People play well into their forties now, so oh, let me you tell you, yeah. you'll need some steroids. It's not going to happen, Tony. Yeah. Um, well, man, it's been great hanging out with you. I'm sorry about your foot. I'm going to be okay. I think. I think you're going to. Who be needs right. a toe? No, man, you're good. I've so, got the other one. Your ice skating career will it? It will take a down. Yeah. Turn. I'll just find some big skates like this boot that are Velcro. Yeah. We need a good Velcro skate. Everybody needs one. This so. is probably going to cost me $300, this oh, boot. Oh, every bit of it. Yeah, that's not even a boot. It's a shoe. Yeah, it's know? a soft shoe, they call it. Which, that's an old term for like when you tap dance. Give them the old soft shoe. Is oh. that a, like a dancing? That's funny. <sighs> I'm not going to be tap dancing. Well, another bit of useless trivia from Johnny W. Thank you. So, Thank you. Hey, guys, I always appreciate you listening and sharing, and uh, we're excited. Actually, some good things coming up uh, we're talking with our team about, and and go in some different directions will be fun. But uh, you can follow Johnny on Twitter or other places, but he's at J-O-N-N-I-E underscore W. He doesn't use his whole last name because he's very pretentious. Yes. Uh, I'm uh, at J-O-H-N underscore driver. You can follow us and uh, say hi. We do have some questions we didn't get to today. Actually, we'll get to them next week. 
But uh, always fun, and we enjoy it. Look forward to doing it again next week. Oh, I need to talk about that. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.